Hi, Movie Bar Pod fam. So the last 10 minutes or so of this episode with Maggie May got all fuckered up, including the part where she got to shout out her socials. So we have added a little supplementary material, some little clippies to try and get some of that content back in the episode. And if you like what you've heard, you can check out Maggie at Maggie May Ha Ha on Instagram and Twitter. That's M-A-G-G-I-E-M-A-Y-E Ha Ha on both of those. We're really excited to start this episode out. It's one of our road trip saga that we were doing this month and yeah enjoy Thanks for joining Watching Movies at the Bar, a podcast about bar movies and movie bars. I'm Bethy Squires, and with me, as always, is Thomas Grabinski. Thomas, how's it going? It's amazing. I've never been happier to be on our podcast. It's a nice podcast to be on, I'd like to think. Uh, no pressure. How are you feeling in your first 10 seconds of being on the podcast, Maggie May? I'm feeling pretty good. I'll admit, I feel pretty good. <laughs> uh, you might have seen Maggie on Conan or on the Showcase Showcase live stream. Uh, she's a comedian. Uh, she's a researcher. We were on the history of swear words together on Netflix, Googling a lot of information about uh, the S word and the F word and what have you. I'm starstruck by the two of you. That's a very fun show. It was fun. Yeah. Subject matter is very relevant to my interest. <laughs> I was like, but do I really mean fuck? Wait, wait, what episodes did you get? I forget. Were you shit and... I was shit and damn. Damn, that's right. <laughs> oh, I love those ones. And then I was bitch and dick. Much like in real life, I was bitch and dick. <laughs> <laughs> and then a uh, future guest who right now is named Catherine Doyle, but is soon to change her name because she's getting married. Uh, she did uh, Pussy and Fuck. And then you'll have the whole History of Swear Words research team on the podcast, Thomas. That's incredible. Also, that was a real greatest hits compilation of swears. All six of those are just incredible. They're bangers, every one of them. They're the hits. They're the hits. <laughs> Check it out. Um. So this is a podcast about watching movies at bars. Maggie, what is your relationship to bars, to watching movies at them, to talking about movies at them? What's your experience? Um, I never really was much of a bar person before starting comedy. Mm -hmm. um, that just, you know, going to bars became like either where the show was or where the after show hang was. And uh, I mean, of course, now, you know, it's not a... It's not a foreign thing to go to a bar, but, like, it's not, like, my first choice or whatever. But, um, yeah, uh, the movies at bars, those are great if you don't want to have to, like, make conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just, like, watch Bloodsport over someone's shoulder and don't have to... You don't have to be a functioning person. You can just enjoy your margarita and have fun at the bar by yourself or... You know, let your friends do what they're doing, but it's good. It's a good uh, cop, not cop out, but it's a good 
it's a good side activity. It absolutely gives you an excuse to let the conversation die, especially if, like, for me, a bar movie can be so useful if, like, some random dude is trying to talk to you and you can, you can just pretend you're, like, really engrossed in the movie and, like, mm-hmm. react to it too much. Be like, oh, wow, did you see that? Or, like, just completely, <laughs> like, cut them off mid-sentence and be like, that guy's head exploded. Crazy. Oh, I'm sorry, you were yeah. saying? And just, like, really let him know that you don't care what he's talking about. And that way he knows he's not more important to you than Goonies. Mm-hmm. Well, Goonies never say die. Or the aforementioned blood sport. <laughs> uh, Bethy, and I, Bethy and I were out at a bar with some friends on Saturday night, and it was a bar that did not have a TV. And I actually was really craving it, because at a certain point my energy hit a wall, and so I was not really participating in the conversation. But it's nice when there's something to direct your attention towards, so you don't seem like you're being grumpy or something. It's just like, right. no, I... I really want to watch the Brett Ratner Hercules movie that I would never watch <laughs> otherwise. This is my only chance. If not now, when? Um, I A couple nights ago, whenever I got back from Vegas, I got remote privileges again, and I put on Pulp Fiction, because it was like one of the few things that was on. And then after a while, I was like, ooh, we're about to get to the gimp scene, and I don't think I can be the one to be in charge of letting this happen to the rest of the bar. I don't think anyone would have given a shit. I was being like a weird, like, Helen Lovejoy think of the children person for a second. <laughs> and so I got to where they were, like, bloodied and in uh, the ball gags, and I switched it over to National Treasure. We have the Declaration of Independence. Oh, that's so responsible of you, because if somebody was, like, trying to get out of a situation and looked over at that moment, well, I guess the the shock of seeing that could have gotten them right out of that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> National Treasure is an interesting one for a bar, because I think a lot about movies that have really great visual storytelling, and I have an incredibly soft spot for... National Treasure, but I think actually the second unit direction in that movie is bad. Mm. Uh, I think if that movie had better action, it would be kind of like not even a guilty pleasure classic. It would just be like a Hollywood well-rounded classic, but instead it's just a movie that I love but have some problems with. Yeah, you'd think you'd be able to like really let it carry on visuals alone because in theory they're like running around Philadelphia and like stealing the Declaration of Independence and what have you, but... You do need the subtitles because a lot of it is just Sean Bean, like, scowling. And that doesn't mean anything (laughs) to me without the sound of Sean Bean scowling. I don't know that that's a good bar movie. Like, you want a bar movie that does not, like, encourage you to want to do a side quest after you leave the bar. (laughs) Right, yeah. You know? Like, we could do some national treasure shit. No, you need a movie that you can watch it and be like, that was nice. I'm going to go home and be 30. Yeah, I can't have two Coors Lights and then be shown a a film where people steal the Declaration of Independence or else I will go to City Hall and steal the city plans. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't get in trouble in National Treasure. I'm not either. (laughs) What could go wrong? What could go wrong? Um, When I saw Ocean's Eleven for the first time when I was, I don't know, 12 or 13, it made me want to tail people. So I went around my local borders (laughs) and like followed people through sections and tried to not get seen. So yeah, I could be very susceptible to, as you said, a a side quest that was prompted by the bar (laughs) movie. So 
we have come here and you have brought for us a Goofy movie as the film to discuss. Uh, Maggie, what made you want to talk about a Goofy movie? Uh, A Goofy movie is just, for all intents and purposes, it's a classic. Mm -hmm. Um, It is, it's just, it's a different kind of Disney movie. The soundtrack is second to none. Um, It's just... It, it's a perfect bar movie because it just triggers all the nostalgia from like seeing it back in the day and it's like it's not so babyish it's not like frozen mm-hmm. but it's still like a it's it's still like a fun nostalgic kind of movie that's gonna be nice to watch while you're at a bar or nice to have in the background and if you can hear the music man that's that's just mwah, chef's kiss I do think you would you would be really leaving money on the table if you put a goofy movie on at the bar and you didn't let me hear the Powerline songs. Yeah. So that would be a that, fuck up. That's really what made the show like that kicked a goofy movie over the edge was Powerline. If Powerline was not in that movie, I don't know if it would have been as compelling. <laughs> and I don't know if uh, someone other than Tevin Campbell being in that movie playing Powerline would have been as because. I mean, Tevin Campbell ought to be more famous than he is now. <laughs> so yeah, he ought to be Bieber famous. He was really out there doing it. I've truly had eye to eye stuck in my head since like we scheduled this a couple <laughs> months ago. It's just like everyone's gonna pop back up. You're welcome. <laughs> it's good. Thank you, Maggie. Um, You're welcome, <laughs> Thomas. I feel like this might be maybe the opposite of our Emperor's New Groove episode because I know. Maggie, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm, like, a Disney fan, but, like, in a weird way. I'm not, like, a Disney okay. adult. I'm, like, the way that I would talk in, like, a writer's room about, like, did you know this fucked up thing? It's very upsetting. That's everything I know about Disney is just the upsetting stuff and the only things that I care about. <laughs> so you like to peel back the layers yes. on Disney. Yes. And Into it. Emperor's New Groove is just, like, a good movie. That's just, like, a fun time. It doesn't have as many nasty delights as perhaps a Goofy movie does in the <laughs> in the backstory of it. So I'm going to go full Disney adult on both of y'all and talk about the history of Goofy <laughs> as a character. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> I forgot to write down the year that Goofy was invented, but his original name was Dippy Dog. And dog is spelled D A W G Dog, Dippy Dog. Is that who uh, Dinner Dog on Simpsons was? Yeah. You will also notice Mr. Meyer's name and copyright notice on the original drawings of the other members of the Itchy and Scratchy family: Brown Nose Bear, Disgruntled Goat, Flatulent Fox, Rich Uncle Skeleton, and Dinner Dog. Absolutely, that is who they're they're basing it off of. This is Professor Bethy hours, mind you. This is a this is a segment we get on the show. <laughs> we have to put some like uh, some nerd music behind me. I don't even know what I mean. <laughs> like the sound of like the the progress of tomorrow. The poop 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 poop. poop. You know the sound of like mid century science happening. Oh yeah. I was thinking like uh, the just the graduation song. Like the vitamin C <laughs> pomp and song? circumstance oh, okay. on loop. <laughs> Just to indicate that Bethy does, in fact, have a degree. She's qualified to be speaking on these things. Yeah, I have a Bachelor's of Art in Photography, so I feel really like I I can explain all of this so well. (laughs) 
Goofy was created by Art Babbitt, and when I found that out, I went, oh, Lord, and then Colin went, what? And I went, it's Art Babbitt, and he went, who? And I went, you know, and he went, no. And so I feel like, I assume that's what's happening right now. We would have had the same conversation. That's how it would have gone between us as well. Yes. Art Babbitt was one of the favorite animators of early Disney Studios until he was a leader of the strike in 1941. So the Disney studio, like the Disney campus was like a big place of like favoritism. The people that Walt liked had their own like spa on the studio that they could hang out at. But if you were wow. like just a in-betweener, somebody who's just drawing like the little frames in between the big motions, or if you're like an ink and paint girl, it's a terrible place to work as far as like uh, pay and not getting sexually harassed goes. um so art babbitt was one of the favorite guys but he was also a leader of the strike because he was like this sucks this isn't right if you want to google the pictures of the disney picket line first of all the lettering on the picket signs is immaculate because it's by like these amazing animators like the fonts (laughs) the drawings is it in the disney font yeah it's gorgeous gorgeous picket signs and the lettering on the guillotine that they brought and wrote walt disney's name on the guillotine is really nice too wow that's fucking tight okay because i was like that's hella insidious that they're Mm -hmm. just gonna turn their back on someone just because he wants to strike for better conditions now i'm hearing about a guillotine and i'm like "Mm, you probably lost your spa off of that oh i'm not i'm not done oh he for sure lost his spa but for like a couple reasons Uh, (laughs) so art babbitt actually there's a rumor that he almost came to blows with walt when walt went past the picket line he almost caught art's hands like it was whoa on (laughs) It was gonna, Art it was sounds gonna like happen. a badass. Art also dated the life model for Snow White, who he met when she was 14, and they got married uh, when she was 18, and they divorced when she was 21. No thanks. Uh, he went from rock and roll guy to fucking weirdo real quick. There's a lot going yeah. on. He also wow. is the person that most of the... Walt Disney is a Nazi rumors originate from. Art Babbitt was the guy who was like, I saw Walt Disney at the German-American Bund. He loves Germany. I think he might be a Nazi. He did say this after he had already almost uh, come to blows with him during the strike, and also after he had married an 18-year-old that he had met when she was 14. So there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack there. I mean, it's hard for me to believe you when that's the circumstance. When you're out doing Jerry Lee Lewis shit, I'm not believing you, your opinions on anybody else. It's tough. Like, because Walt Disney did 100% invite Lenny Riefenstahl to his studio, being like, she's a oh. cool documentarian. <laughs> like, I don't necessarily agree with what she says, but she says it well, was sort of like Walt's official PR line on that. I mean, he sounds to me like an early supporter of women in film. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's just rich guy shit. Yeah. Like, oh, well, let me invite uh, Milo Giannis and, or whatever his name is. And let's talk to him. And like, 
just to be subversive, or did I say subversive? Subversive. <laughs> said that a little too fast with lip gloss on, but I think that's just kind of shit they do. Which is insidious. I'm not gonna. I don't know why I brought that up. No, it's still insidious. I think it makes it sense doesn't take away. because I my personal feeling on Walt Disney is that I think he was just because he hated that his studio unionized he was like you know that reddit thread that was like my subs have unionized that was walt disney he thought of himself as like the dad of the studio and he was like all of my children are mad at me so now i hate my kids like that was sort of the vibe so he hated unions and he hated communists because communist forms unions and then that sort of bled into the sort of room temperature anti-semitism of the era so that he sort of thought unions, communists, and Jewish people are all the same thing, and he doesn't like any of them. I feel like rich people are just so far removed from sort of the day-to-day problems of real people that all of it becomes theory and thought exercise. Mm-hmm. I just feel like he's an alien on top of a fucking mountain, but by no means a good person. Ooh, speaking of mountain, Go- Goofy's yodel. Oh, good, good. Glad I could help you segue. <laughs> Goofy's yodel, the Goofy holler, the was done by a world-famous yodeler slash skier, Hannes Schroll, that Walt Disney knew when he invested, when Disney invested in Schroll's ski resort, the Sugar Bowl. And Walt recorded Hannes doing his yodel one time, and they're still using it today, and I don't think his family got royalties on that shit. <laughs> wow. Motherfuckers. That sounds All about right, though. This is a good cast, too. I feel like we need to talk about the, the voice cast of this. Because you've got uh, Bill Farmer, who is still goofy, in like the, the completely unhinged current Disney Mickey Mouse shorts. I sent one of them to y'all. As like oh. homework, but uh, this this is the the deepest recommendation from Bethy's heart that you will ever get. Go on YouTube or go on Disney Plus and watch the new Mickey Mouse shorts. They are insane. You will see <laughs> uh, the abominable snowman's nipples. You will see Goofy explode. You will see Daffy Ducks, not Daffy Ducks, Donald Ducks butt fall off. You'll see Donald Duck lay an egg. <laughs> You'll see. There's this there's this Christmas cartoon that like it's called Duck the Halls. It's on YouTube. It kind of implies that ducks don't celebrate Christmas. They go to Miami Beach instead, which I think means that all ducks are Jewish. Donald, you know that's not possible. We're ducks. But this one time Donald decides to stay up north for Christmas, but it hurts him so much that he almost dies they have to steal santa's sleigh to get him to miami beach so he doesn't die from christmas but there's like the way they animate donald like like losing all of his feathers his beak falls off there's like snot coming out of where his beak used to be his eyes are bloodshot it's disgusting it's like ren and stimpy's version of the mickey mouse shorts they're so good there's there's one of these shorts that I that I sent um the two people on this podcast with uh called Easy Street that goes deeper into the how come Goofy is a dog that is a friend of Mickey's and Pluto is a dog that is 
owned by Mickey, what's going on there. And it kind of implies, that short implies that it's Pluto's choice, like it's some sort of erotic sub situation. I'm out here busting my hump 24-7, and all this guy does is fetch some slippers and he's living on easy street? I gotta get in on this. That he just chooses to be nude and mute in Mickey's house and get his slippers, like, for treats. And for a little bit, Goofy is also on that same racket until he finds out that he has to get dewormed, and then he says no dice and runs away. (laughs) (laughs) Time for the deworming. What? Not my worms. Living on easy street ain't worth all this. I'm out of here. Bill Farmer is on this. Fucking Rob Paulson is in this. Wallace Shawn is the principal. Jason Marsden is Max and he crushes. He's still in everything. You might if you you might recognize Jason Marsden from Boy Meets World as like Eric's weird friend. It's a good cast. Fucking Polly Shore is involved for some reason. Uh-huh. Max, look. It's the leaning tower of Cheesa. <laughs> He he hits that cheese like it's a vape pen before there were vape pens, but he has the energy <laughs> towards his like squirt cheese that people do now for their like for their jewels or for their like vape pens. It's it's wild shit. Leaning tower of cheese and talk to mm-hmm. me, talk to me, baby. Like there are just lines from that Polly Shore performance that like my siblings and I would repeat all the time as kids. It's just like it is a it is a crack ensemble of uh, just fun characters. So the main this this movie, a Goofy movie, is a spinoff of Goof Troop, which itself was inspired by the 1950s cartoons, where Goofy uh, is like a human guy, kind of with a dog face, <laughs> uh, whose name is George Geef. And he looks like Goofy, but he's wearing a suit and he doesn't have, like, floppy dog ears. He, like, doesn't have ears. It's just this earless guy named George Geef, who has a son named Junior and an unnamed, unseen wife. Like, you would see her feet in shots or, like, her, like, like from the waist down or something or her going, like, Goof, George, where's the souffle, George? And he would be, like, fucking up the souffle. Um, <laughs> but she's not here. Which begs the question, in this movie and in Goof Troop, who is Max's mom? What's going on there? It's Donald, right? <laughs> I think that uh, she, I get a very strong she passed away vibe. I do too. Because Goofy seems like a, a goofy, goofy dad who is trying to be goofy to cover up for the fact that he's hurting real bad because he can't handle raising his son without his wife. That's what it seemed like to me. I get the sense in this movie that Goofy is a widower and that Pete is divorced. Oh, Pete's absolutely divorced. Pete was left. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Pete got abandoned. (laughs) In Goof Troop, Pete has a wife and also a daughter. So there's, there's Pete, Peg pistol and pj but in this movie it's just pete and pj which makes me think that they have some sort of weird parent trap custody (laughs) pistol wasn't having it yeah pistol's like i'm gonna live with mom he's like the mythical archetype of divorced dad in this movie (laughs) he just is 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 its essence 
there's something so weird to me about the fact that in Goof Troop, like, not only does Pete have a wife, but occasionally you see them together, like, in the same bed, like, going to sleep or waking up. But there's still no even hint of a ex-wife, dead wife, nothing with Goofy and Max. It's like he hatched from an egg. And I think that, to me, says something so fucked up about, like, American masculinity that somehow, like, Disney sensed that we would be comfortable with a villainous character having a wife and, like, a sex life, but the idea of Goofy fucking is, like, so upsetting that everyone's like, no, 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 thank you. I don't want to believe that. No one wants to think about his goofy ass getting it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I think we're, this vote is two to one. I I would like to see Goofy fuck. (laughs) I don't want to see Goofy fuck, but I'm not scared of it. You know? I'm not, I can confront the idea of Goofy fucking. Especially since, uh, the last part of my Goofy history is that his on-again, off-again girlfriend is Clarabelle Cow, that, uh, (laughs) She is sometimes dating him, sometimes dating Horace Horsecaller, and occasionally there's a vibe that they're in a thruple, but that it's like a mildly contentious one. They haven't quite figured out the power dynamics of it. So either Goofy has no sex because his wife is super dead, or he's in a weird thruple, like a fractious thruple. That makes me think of, like, different birth possibilities, because Goofy also does seem like the kind of guy who just inherited Max and raised him on his own. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, listeners, if anybody wants to Google Goofy Mpreg and just send us the results, I'm interested. I'm not scared. I'll find out. <laughs> I didn't know we were going to go so deep tonight. I didn't know that it was going to get so raw. It's a it's a thinker of a movie. It it really begs these questions. It's It's a rich text. Yeah. I take a more pedestrian approach to a Goofy movie. Here are my thoughts on a Goofy movie. Mm -hmm. Goofy movie is a movie I watched two dozen times as a child. Loved it. Uh, It holds up for me now. I find it to be very comforting. Uh, I don't watch many animated Disney movies. I don't revisit many of them. But I've watched this movie twice this year. Once to get ready for this podcast and once earlier this year when I was embroiled in a really shitty job interview process and just needed to (laughs) decompress. It's like... It is a movie that I fall back on for comfort, but I also think it functions fully as, like, a road trip buddy movie. Like, a dysfunctional road trip buddy movie in the same way that, like, Emperor's New Groove is indebted to, like, Tommy Boy, Planes, Trains, whatever. I think, you know, a Goofy movie checks those boxes, too. So it's sort of predicted movies that I would come to love as an adult, but it's, like, the baby version. (laughs) I don't know if I do think it's the baby. Like, I understand that it's the baby version because it's literally a cartoon for children, but... There's something about the mm, Max's whole, I love my dad, but I'm embarrassed by my dad, but I do understand that his emotional well-being relies on me, that is very adult, this, like, the vibes of an adult child, of, like, how do I negotiate a relationship with my parents when I also want to individuate, which I feel like is not baby stuff. That's big kid stuff. I feel like that's the kind of thing that someone who has had to grow up quickly, possibly because of losing a parent, would internalize or like make a like a concerted effort to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I wonder how much 
like, it sounds like maybe we are at least two thirds. Thomas, I'm not sure where you're at as far as goofy, goofy wife dead. Yeah, that's that's my take. And uh, I just to bring Colin part of the watching movies at the bar brain trust into the mix. Uh, Colin, I believe, in their Letterboxd review, uh, commented on the idea that or maybe we discussed this in person, but the idea that it is such a strange whiplash to watch this movie with the character Goofy, who you know, to be this silly comic relief, who suddenly is stricken with grief and alienation and this disconnect from his son it's kind of a brazen creative choice um but one that i think is really satisfying and obviously we've we've uh talked around it a bit but it's it's a really strange and big choice yeah colin did say that uh they said that seeing goofy who is normally like a a creature of love and light be sad or disappointed is like brain breaking in the same way that like Aww. Simpsons Treehouse of Horror is like that these normally <laughs> happy characters being sad or heartbroken or in the case of Treehouse of Horror dying is like uncanny in this way that's like uh like a bad dream like a nightmare like it was my house but it wasn't my house it was my dad but my dad's face was full of maggots and he was disappointed in me like those vibes <laughs> So, Maggie, did you see this movie first uh, in theaters, or was this a home movie? I saw it in the theater first, and then several times on, like, the Disney Channel, and, <laughs> you know, streaming, whatnot. Yeah. In bars. I think I've probably seen it at a bar at this point. Right? It feels like it should be on at a bar, which is why you brought it here. Thomas, what about you? I think I watched Goofy movie on home video for the first time. It was 1995. Is that right? Uh, either 95 or 96. I can't remember. I think it's five because I think it was right before I was going to movies. Mm. I'm a, I am a 1993 baby. I hope this doesn't uh, get me in trouble with our, our listeners. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I watched it at home, but I watched it so many times and it was... I don't think I would have been able to articulate it as a kid, but it, it's like Maggie says, it's a different kind of Disney movie. You know, it was it was a different animation studio, right? Mm-hmm. It was their like secondary. Yeah. Um, and it just it, it has a different tone and it feels like a different world. And that, I don't know, really resonated for me as a child. Yeah, to get a little bit more into the background of how the movie came to exist. So this movie was made by... Disney Movie Tune Studios, as opposed to Disney Feature Animation or whatever they were called at the time. It was done by, like, satellite offices in uh, Australia and Japan, as opposed to, like, the main California studio or even, I think, the Florida studio had already... They were starting to work on the Florida studio at MGM Studios. Uh, This movie actually comes out in between The Lion King and Pocahontas, but it's not considered part of, like, the Disney Renaissance because it's not the same studio. And also because it was like the last movie with Jeffrey Katzenberg's thumbprint on it. And so everyone was like, fuck that guy. And just sort of, <laughs> they like, uh, promotion buried this movie because it was Katzenberg's baby. So they were like, we're going to shit on it and make sure that people don't like it. But then it did find an audience on cable and on home video, but it didn't get theatrically. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Also, fuck Jeffrey Katzenberg. Apropos oh, of <laughs> a big fuck Jeffrey Katzenberg. Uh, I it's crazy. Like it's his fault that 
a goofy movie is a road trip movie because he and his daughter had recently bonded on a road trip. It's also his fault that it's illegal to sit on the sidewalk in 80% of Los Angeles now. So there's a lot going on there with old oh, that guy. <laughs> Big time. I think I had the same experience of this movie as, as y'all did. I think I saw it in theaters. I know now as an adult, it hits very different than it did before. I think because I am much more sensitive to Goofy's feelings and I'm worried about Goofy the whole time. And also getting like upset at every time he takes Pete's advice about anything. This movie is just like parenting styles, the movie. It's like just different attachment styles, different parenting styles. It's like Pete's an authoritarian and... Goofy is a communicator, but he also weaponizes his vulnerability, and that's not great. And so it's about <laughs> seeing how these single dads navigate having emotions, perhaps for the first time in their lives. Yeah. I guess the whole idea of a teenager, like, you know, watching it from the perspective of a teenager versus watching it from the perspective of someone who, for all intents and purposes... You know, I probably could have, I mean, if, any, if I wanted to, I probably could have a teenager by now. So now it's like, like you said, I'm so much more sympathetic to, because, I mean, Goofy's kind of annoying. So it's just like, yeah, Max, get away from your dad. <laughs> and now it's like, <laughs> punk ass Max, your dad's trying his best. His back hurts. Leave him alone. Uh, I, I identify with that perspective strongly, um, but also because I know that I'm getting uh, more annoying and less cool as I get older. So it's... It's just, it's, it's empathy. I have a burgeoning empathy. <laughs> There's also, I think, I could be much more sympathetic to Max back in the day because I also was worried about what strangers thought of me. Mm-hmm. And I think when you let go of that, which happens, which can happen once you get older, if you're just like, I'm okay with looking like a goober to strangers, it turns out they aren't going to think about me ever again. So I can just mm-hmm. be whatever and it'll be fine. Once you like sort of let go of being self-conscious, I think your life gets funner. Much like Goofy's life does seem more fun than Max's life in many ways. Yeah. And then like when you're a teenager, that's like, I mean, like you said, you're tied up in that and you don't see past it. You're just like, oh yeah, this is life and this is how life is. And then like seeing it from the other side, man, it's just, uh, I mean, and I'm, I guess, like you said, empathetic towards Max, because it's like, oh, gosh, you know, little little teenage me, you know, might have had a a drop of you in her. And, like, I feel sympathetic for having to have felt like that before. You know, so. Yeah, you, you do get both sides of it more now. But, Maggie, did you ever um, prank the whole school during an assembly? Was that something <laughs> that you did to deal with that part of yourself? Uh, no, I really, I wish I would have, because I love <laughs> pranks. Uh, I pranked all of my friends on Facebook pretty hard a few years ago, so I feel like that was kind of an equal thing to what Max was doing. Yeah, I, I do think I'm as bad a bitch as Max is for doing that. How did so. you prank everyone on Facebook? <laughs> I faked a, a wedding proposal. <laughs> <laughs> That's like gonzo shit. <laughs> yeah, it was like somewhere, like, uh, was it Costa Rica or something like that? And uh, I, my friend kept, like, getting closer to me in the pictures while I was trying to take my picture with all the beautiful, like, greenery and everything. So he kept getting closer and kept prom posing. And I was wearing this fake little, uh, 
wooden ring and the last one I just popped my hand out posted the picture on Facebook and let people draw their own inferences and it was hilarious for 24 hours <laughs> that's incredible did anyone get like really mad were, were there any reactions you had to unwind all of them as soon as they found out I was not getting married everyone was pissed they were like Maggie we were just Maggie <laughs> a couple people took their likes back Oh, those <laughs> That's petty. bastards. Did any of them, though, in that 24-hour span, send you, like, a bottle of champagne or anything? Something they couldn't take back? Or, like, a blender? No! <laughs> Just a bunch of heart reacts. <laughs> okay, yeah. So it's not like they expended too much to give you that heart react. Right, right. They just were like, I guess they were mad that I got them. <laughs> <laughs> so. it's, good. it's a good prank it's a brave yeah. prank thank you thank you speaking of that opening prank does anyone want to give like a light summary of what happens in this movie so um it's last day of school and max decides that uh, this is his chance to stand out so that uh he can catch the attention of the cute little thick hottie mm-hmm. and um he does a like a good lip sync dance situation at a pep rally or an assembly, end of the year assembly, which is like, I mean, to be honest, it's like the coolest shit. Like it's <laughs> the stuff that Nickelodeon was made of, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but something goes wrong and he gets caught. His principal calls his dad and complains about it and makes his dad feel as though like Max is going to be a, a damn uh, thug by the next year like he just he takes this and is like your kid's on his way to being a being a just a thug and a shooter like you need to (laughs) get you need to get control of your child so he decides he's gonna take max on a road trip fishing trip because he thinks that fishing trips save young boys (laughs) he sees a bobblehead and he's like aha it's a bobblehead of a guy fishing, and he's like, I see, yes, I will take my child to the watering hole, the fishing hole that my dad took me to, and everything will work yeah. out just fine like it did with me and my dad. Got him on the straight and narrow. Also, not to derail, just to jump in really quick, the key word that sends Goofy into this existential spiral that he's a bad father, I guess it's two words, electric chair. Before he ends up in the electric chair! The electric chair? The principal tells him that Max is bound for the electric chair. And so Goofy just calls back to that repeatedly through the movie. And it's weirdly heavy. But sorry, back to you, Maggie. No, it's cool. It's That's kind of a weird stance for a, for a principal in what seems to be a predominantly white school. But whatever. You can't say that shit to people. No. You can't say that shit. No. That I've is... worked at a school and you have to be like on such like tippy toes around the parents because they'll like pop off and go to your like the school like board and get you fucking fired you you have to like coddle the parents so much anyway like goofy didn't need to go on a fishing trip he just needed to call you know an attorney (laughs) (laughs) give them a cease and desist and telling him how to be a father but uh yeah they go they go on a trip uh, they uh, link up with uh, with Pete and his son at some point because uh, stuff isn't going all that great, you know, and so they link up with Pete and the son. 
Max tells Pete that he's going to, like, get it so that he can go to the Powerline concert and be on stage with Powerline. Because I uh, forgot to mention in the beginning, he told this little thick hottie that he's going to be <laughs> in Powerline's music video. She invites him out to a pay-per-view event. He's like, I'm actually going to be on it. <laughs> so he's trying to get his dad to, like, get to it and he'll figure it out, right? Uh, and so Pete overhears and Pete uh, is just a little too happy to tell Goofy that his son is going down a wrong or his son's playing him and uh, goofy doesn't believe it he goes to the car he sees that like he finds the proof that that's what max is doing and then he's like real sad for a whole long time uh then uh don't they get into an argument of some sort yeah they like um while they're fighting about how Max betrayed Goofy, but partially because Goofy didn't listen to Max when Max tried to just open communication channels. Goofy did not want to hear it, so Max was, like, resorted to subterfuge. They're having this argument that, uh, because it's a cartoon, involves them falling into, like, a canyon (laughs) and into, like, a river, and so they... Just like Emperor's New Groove, they go over a waterfall. (laughs) sitting on this car that is just floating down the river the most buoyant car that has ever been made like it's an aqua car it's just floating in this <laughs> river the whole time uh and they 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 squash the beef and they reconcile uh just in time to fall off the edge of the waterfall <laughs> but max saves goofy with the ancestral perfect cast mm. that goofy's dad yeah. taught him so he's able to use like fly fishing techniques to rescue goofy as he falls down a waterfall hey also no spoilers but that's not the last time we're gonna call back to the perfect cast no it's gonna come back mm-hmm. yeah uh so because goofy got his life saved he's like okay let's go see this power lex or whatever he doesn't know the real name so um he's like let's go <laughs> Classic and dad. they get to power line and uh they're able to sneak max actually it's uh Goofy's the one who ends up on stage first because he like bungles his way into accidentally being like where Powerline is supposed to be, and like he ends up doing that. And then everyone gets on stage. Uh, fucking Max shows up, does the perfect cast, which is also a dance move for some reason. <laughs> it looks like very close to b-boying, so it works out well for everybody. It just, even as a kid, I was just like, y'all are reaching. <laughs> 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 this doesn't look cool at all. But, um, yeah, so they get out there, they're doing the power line dance and everything like that. All the kids at school see him. He's a, a king, whatever. They get back home, the car just, like, then the car breaks, and then he uh, explains to the girl that he really didn't, like, he wasn't supposed to be there. He just, like, fudged his way onto there. He had lied to her, but he really likes her. And uh, then he does the little goofy, (laughs) and then he realizes that the girl liked him for him, even though he is going to grow up to be his father but she still likes him, and even though he has uh, his lame dad's DNA, it's still pretty cool. That's something we didn't talk about, is that the movie starts with Max's dream that is at, like, at some points incredibly horny, 
and then just turns into full body horror as Max like morphs into Goofy as if he, it's like a werewolf thing. Like his mm-hmm. teeth yeah. grow and his hands get too big and he starts hulking more it's than a, It's a top three Disney Cronenberg moment. Yeah. There aren't that many. <laughs> like he's so afraid of becoming his father, but then by the end he realizes you could do way worse than becoming Goofy. Yeah, you like could Goofy's a pretty good guy, so. Yeah. I like that uh, even from the beginning, we, the viewers, can see that Roxanne, the hottie, is into Max, like, from the start. Mm-hmm. But Max just lacks the confidence to see that. He doesn't realize yes. that somebody yeah. is into him. Has anybody experienced that personally that you didn't realize until later? Oh, they were hitting on me. Because that's definitely that definitely happened to me as a teen. I didn't realize that people were hitting on me until years later. Yeah, I think there were a couple of instances where I was like, "What? Like, you had a crush <laughs> on me? What are you talking about?" Or I think back on it and it's like, "Oh, no wonder that kid always came to find me and talk to me at my locker." Like, I don't know what I thought was happening at the time, but they were probably into me, and I just was aloof. It was fewer, it was fewer, like, maybe in high school for me than college, but I do think there was just, like, an insecurity I carried with me, and I made everything much more complicated than it needed to be. And I think there were a lot of times where people were flirting not even in an ambiguous way, it was bordering on direct communication, and it took me too much time to realize that was what was happening. I don't know, it's not that hard. Max, it's not, it's not that hard, man. (laughs) But it's, it's, we can say that with hindsight, but in the moment no idea um when Can we i talk went... about how stupid max's lie is sorry i i, I don't <laughs> wait i have to I don't tell the story it... about a guy oh. trying to fuck me on a plane and i didn't realize that was happening oh that's amazing i don't want to miss that <laughs> i mean that's the punchline but i was on a trip to germany in high school and on the way back this guy it was like a, a red-eye flight from germany to uh to indiana uh, this guy was like, who was also in this trip, was like, let's go to the back and look at the sunrise uh, from the emergency exit window. So we both go and look at it. And then he like goes over to like the bathrooms and he's like, that's the bathroom. And I went, yep, it sure is. And he like sort of gestures to it. And I like nod. I'm like, yes, that is the bathroom. Very good. And he's like, okay, cool. I'm going to I'm going to go back up front. I'm like, okay, bye. <laughs> and I didn't realize he was trying to get me into the bathroom, I guess, to make out until years later i was like oh that was all a ploy weird and you thought he was just demonstrating his plane expertise that he (laughs) knows where the lavatory is yeah he thought maybe i didn't know he was just being helpful (laughs) you know he he lent me his green arrow no he had green lantern comic books i had green arrow comic books we switched green superheroes it was just an exchange of information i didn't realize that it was like Perchance to make out, perhaps. Oh, Bethy. I didn't realize, like, I've been where's the bathroomed before, and I just didn't, like, I was sitting down somewhere. Now, I've gotten pulled over in front of a strip club, and then the strip club people came out, and they were like, leave her alone! And the cops (laughs) ran off. (laughs) And so they're like, you okay, honey? Come inside, have you some water. You know, calm down, whatever. So I'm sitting down whatever and a guy comes up to me and is like where's the bath where's the bathroom do you know where the bathroom is and i was like "Uh (laughs) he's like are you sure you don't know where the bathroom is i was like no like 
look around. <laughs> I'm sure you could find it. <laughs> and then later, I turned around right above my head. There was a sign that said bathroom, and there was an arrow toward it. And then I was just like, oh, he thought I was going to come with him to, like, I guess, let's go to the bathroom as a universal, let's go find somewhere to fuck that smells like butts. <laughs> yeah, I guess this is just a, a word to the wise people. You're not bathrooms aren't going to be the sexy place to go, and a lot of people's no. minds don't go to that when you're when you suggest that there is such a thing as a bathroom. They're like, yes, that's where one poops. They don't think about that. That's where clandestine smooches might take place. No, I'm not trying to smooch where there's like pee smell, fart smells. Yeah. That too. I'm just, it's not, that's not what I'm into personally. Mm-mm. Not trying to yuck anyone's yum, but not for me. No, actually, all of that tracks for me. <laughs> um, to, to, just to bring it back to a goofy movie, when I was watching it this time, I was really impacted by how stupid Max's lie is. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I wouldn't want to change anything because I love the journey. I love that it culminates in this Powerline concert. But like... He asks Roxanne to go watch this pay-per-view presentation. Um, he then finds out he has to go on his road, a road trip with his dad. And instead of going up to Roxanne and being like, I'm 18, my dad's making me go on a road trip with him. This is a normal thing that happens to a child. He has to say that his dad played in Powerline's band and is taking him to the show. It's like you could avoid so much heartache and such a fucking pain in the ass by just telling her the truth. But again, I guess it's, you know, he's an insecure person. Well, and Roxanne doesn't, she he tries to say the truth and she's like, yeah, yeah. She seems to also be like self-conscious and think that it's like, oh, you don't like me. You're having second thoughts because you don't like me because when I twirl my hair, my hand gets stuck in it. You must hate me for that. <laughs> right. Just like Rachel Lee Cook is not pretty and she's all that because she has glasses. Yeah. <laughs> Similar energy. That's just such a such a Zach Morris Saved by the Bell kind of thing. Do oh yeah, well, I'm going to be on stage for Powerline, and it's that's the kind of even as a kid, I was just like, other kids are lying like this, like that's y'all's go to. I just be like, my mom said no. Yeah, right. My oh, we're recording this right after we recorded our episode for Cruel Intentions. So I was just struck by, like, again, the 90s were all about sexual deceit, even in Disney movies. (laughs) That's what was going on. I wrote down sexual deceit in my notes, but I wrote it with a P, like it was receipt, but with a D. I don't know what was going on. I was tired. (laughs) It was a mistake. I do want to highlight, like, one last little behind-the-scenes thing. The person who did the score of this movie, so not the Powerline songs and not the non-Powerline songs, which honestly, I could skip. I don't need them. But the just the normal score is was by Carter Burwell, the frequent collaborator and scorer of the Coen brothers. Hmm. Oh, wow. I do just want to say, Bethy, I won't accept after today's slander on a <laughs> podcast where I'm the co-host. I think that song goes... Which one's after today? After today. It's like the first first big number with all the kids. Yeah. I didn't like that one. I'm so sorry. Do we have another after today fan, Maggie? Where are you with Bethy? Are you? It's not bad. It's not bad. I feel like it's a good opening song. It's a good 
you know, establishing song for it. Uh, nothing to write home about. You know, um, and when I say it's a good soundtrack, I mean the power line out. <laughs> the two power lines. <laughs> it sounds yes. like it's a good album power line put out. <laughs> he also, I mean, the rest of the songs are okay, but like the those songs, like, I mean, th- those songs are way much, way better than like Colors of the Wind. It's mm-hmm. better than like anything else that Disney is putting out. It's better than anything that happened after Howard Ashman died, for sure. And they're also embedded in the cultural consciousness. Like, anyone our age remembers those songs. And if people had had, like, two drinks at a party and that song came on, you'd be like, oh, it's Powerline, you know? (laughs) I still know that dance. (laughs) Yeah, hell yeah. I always start with the perfect cast, but yeah, then there's the rest of the dance. <laughs> yeah. Um, Powerline is, is, like, becoming a big thing at the Disney parks now. Like, they keep mm. doing, like, 80s and 90s nights at the park, and so they'll have Max dressed up as Powerline, as, like, one of the walk-around characters. Or, like, currently during these socially distanced times, Max and Goofy have a, like, socially distanced pantomime fishing thing that they do at, at California Adventure, where, like, Max, like, hides a giant cartoon fish in Goofy's trousers and, like, <laughs>, laughs. Uh, when when Colin and I went to, to Disneyland, we saw a little bit of this, and two, we most importantly, we saw two kids see Goofy and just lose their entire goddamn minds, just screaming, Goofy! Goofy, do you see us? We see you! Goofy! They were... <laughs> 400 yards away from Goofy. There is no way somebody in that like limited visibility of a face mask could see those kids or possibly even hear those kids the distance that they were from the guy. But those those kids were fucking eating. They were obsessed. They loved it. I should say a son putting a big ass fish in his dad's pants is deranged behavior, but I like <laughs> the rest of that story. It's a good bit. <laughs> I'm on board. Watching Movies at the Bar is edited by Colin Jenkins, with show art by Lindsay Farrell, and that theme you hear at the top, that's Quentin Mulligan. Ooh.